The universe is made of stories, not atoms. So said poet and activist Muriel Rukeyser. And despite the science, despite the particle physics, despite the mathematical equations and the philosophy and the religion and the spirituality, or maybe in spite of all these things, I challenge anyone to prove her wrong. And that's because we can only see the universe from a human perspective, our unique and individual human perspective. And that itself is a story. From our past to our future, to the way we interact with the world, to the way we identify as ourselves, everything about our human experience is made of stories. But all too often, we give up authorship of these stories, our stories, to things outside us. People, circumstances, fears and doubts, cultural norms and expectations, trends, fashions, opinion, and tribes. Rather than becoming the heroes of our stories, we become two-dimensional supporting characters to our past, to our baggage, to other people's stories, and stories of our own creation which don't support or serve us, but instead keep us limited, our worlds small, and our lives out of alignment with who we really are. So what then if we start to become aware of our stories and the impact they have on our reality? What if we start to take ownership of them, rewrite them in a way that serves us much better, and what do we see when we peer beneath them at our storyless selves? This is Conversations on Living, a podcast about how to do well, how to be well, and how to live well. I'm Chris Brock, and together we can be spies in the kitchen of life, going undercover on a secret mission to find out that recipe behind the secret sauce to living a full and happy life. Today I'm speaking with Krish Shrikumar, a games developer and return guest on the podcast. Krish is the brains behind the meditation-based video game Plane and the new game Inward, both of which ask us to slow down, get quiet, and connect to a version of ourselves, a story of ourselves, that is less caught up in the hustle and bustle of modern life, in worries about the future or the past, and instead is more present and able to connect with the benefits that that brings. Krish is developing games that build habits which result in positive impacts on our lives. This is a really great conversation that explores how powerful and important stories are in our lives, what it means to take ownership of them, and what lies beneath them. You can find out about Plain and Krish's other work uh, and Inward by visiting plain.co, that's P-L-A-Y-N-E dot co, or you can just Google meditation game. And before we get started, just a quick nod to our friends at Headliner. Headliner is the service that I use to create those audiograms with which I promote the podcast. You've seen them probably uh, for this podcast and others on social media. They're kind of uh, waveforms or, or graphics and videos uh, with which um, people promote their podcasts. And Headliner is by far the easiest and most powerful way to create them. So if you host a podcast, definitely worth checking out at www.headliner.app. And if you want to find out more about this podcast, about uh, some of the other episodes, some of the other conversations we've had, you can find it at conversationsonliving.com. And if you sign up to my newsletter there, you can also grab a copy of my latest book, Shine Manifesto. And don't forget, you can carry on the conversation at our Facebook group. Just search for Conversations on Living. And now, without any further ado, it's time to get into this really amazing conversation with the deep thinker, Krish Shrikumar. Krish, thank you um, so much for coming back on the podcast. You were a guest on episode, I think it was 46, and this is going to be episode, I think, 68 or something like that. So it was quite a while ago. 
but we talked back then about kind of meditation and what happens when you get kind of quiet you know what you what you learn about yourself in those quiet um in those quiet times uh, and we also talked about your your game so you're a games developer and uh, you were developing a game called plane uh which is basically a, a kind of um immersive meditation game um and you're working on something new now called inward right so what's that what's that all about that's right. For, firstly, thanks for having me back on here, Chris. It's great to talk to you again. Um, so it's exactly like you're saying. So I'm a game developer. My last game, which I released last year, it was called Plane. Um, it's quite different from the traditional kind of video game in that Plane teaches you and helps you build a habit of mindfulness. And Plane was primarily, well, it was only developed for the PC. And kind of my ambition um was really to bring out a game that would go on mobile which is where so i've always known since plane was for pc i would have to develop a game for mobile and that's what i'm working on just now and that's inward so the kind of goals of the game are similar to plane in that it's um created to help people learn how to practice mindfulness but predominantly it's it's um its goal is to help people build uh, a daily habit um, and kind of to make that commitment of uh, meditating daily a bit easier using kind of game mechanics and game experiences. Okay, so, so when you talk about game mechanics, are you talking about kind of the psychology of gaming or are you talking about the technology of gaming? Right, so what I, it's basically gameplay. So okay. the great thing about video games and what's amazing about video games, it's, it's very good at habit building. And what I mean by that is it makes you, uh, you want to come back every day and play. And the way that you know, traditional games, how it works is it gives you a simple goal that you can practice every day. And as you practice that goal every day, you get rewarded. And with that reward, you can start accomplishing bigger goals. And um, so taking a game as an example, like there's an RPG game called Skyrim. What you do is you, you enter the game, you kill monsters. And as you kill monsters, you earn experience. And as you earn experience, you level up your skills and you unlock these special magical powers. And as you unlock these skills, you can kill bigger monsters. And it's like a cycle. So you keep growing. And that sense of growth is really powerful. And it keeps you, it keeps wanting you to go back and 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 play it again so in some ways that's what i mean by game mechanics it's really you know it's, it's the fun part of games and i'm trying to utilize some of that i guess in a more mindful compassionate way that um makes the kind of hard work if you will of building that commitment of turning up every day and practicing something that's good for your health in this case practicing meditation um, and it makes that easier. And, and I think it's, it's relevant because in the kind of times that we live now, when our attention is being pulled from all sides, um, when we are kind of surrounded by technology um, that's, that's really vying for attention, I think we need that, um, if you like, assistance from technology on the other side to kind of not just back towards those things that, that help us kind of you know, center ourselves back, you know, focus, focus back into ourselves, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. That's, um, it's quite a powerful thing, I guess, because it's this, this whole turning up every day, I think is one of the things that as humans, we're quite, without that kind of addictive pull, um, that, that kind of instant reward, it's something we're quite 
bad at doing. So we, we know exercise is good for us, but it's only when we've been doing it for like a year that we actually start to see the kind of real obvious benefits of it. We know that kind of eating healthy food is good for us, but it's only when you've you know been eating consistently healthy food for a long time that you see the, the benefit of doing it. So, you know, I can eat a salad today and I can eat a, eat a salad tomorrow, but I'm, you know, when I don't see that the weight falling off, it's going to be hard for me to kind of encourage myself to eat a salad on the third day and keep doing it for week after week. But games are very good at kind of, you know, giving you that quick reward, I guess, and letting you see the benefit. Exactly. I think, um, I think what you're saying about the, I guess in some ways you could say that we are, we have a weakness in that we can attach ourselves to certain things that isn't healthy for us. And and that is quite important for us to know that we have this. Um, but instead of calling it weakness, I would just say we have a mechanism as human beings that um, that makes us quite um, behave in such a way that we get attached to certain things that aren't necessarily that good for us. And, um, and it, at the end of the day, we are living in a world and we're living in a system, if you will, that... Um, that is vying for that that behavior of us that can be in some ways used for us to get hooked on certain things. Um, and the question really is, you know, because even when we think about exercise and when we think about healthy eating, we tend to compartmentalize it quite a bit. Like, you know, we need to now do these four things for us to feel healthy again. But in some ways, that's kind of, um, a reaction to the kind of other things that we have got ourselves hooked onto that isn't really our fault. And that isn't really something that we should be blaming ourselves for. And the weird thing that happens is we all blame ourselves for being unhealthy. And we also blame ourselves to at not being able to follow through on building a good habit. But actually at the end of it, you are not in play, you as in the person who you feel is making all these decisions, because at the end of the day, these decisions are being made by your subconscious mind or whatever you want to call it. That isn't really within your control. Um, and I think in, I guess the question I'm um, asking is, and what I'm exploring is, can we use technology to some degree to assist us in building these habits that can take away a lot of this kind of, um, self-judgments that come with uh, living a healthy life, which in, which in a lot of ways is counterproductive. Um, and because at the end of the day, if, if there's something that's going to encourage you to go out and jog every day, be it an app that gives you little streaks that gets you interested in going out and running every day, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with that. As long as you see that, as, as long as you see that what you're using is just an assistant at the assistance at the end of the day, because even with my games, um, what I get really excited about is when I hear people, when I hear players in, in my discord community, who's actually telling me that they've stopped playing the game, but they're continuing the meditation practice because that's where, that's where I would like it to lead to. And that's where I think in a lot of ways, all technologies that assist us will lead, will eventually lead us there, or should eventually lead us there, because then you know it's healthy. It's technology should be used in such a way that here, use me, I'll help you, but I'm just a crutch. You will be walking on your own very soon and you'll drop me and I'm perfectly okay with it. 
then I think it's fine. I think the issue also comes on the other side when technology pretends to assist you, but at the end of the day, you have to rely on it all the time, then it becomes another form of a hook that isn't necessarily, you kind of end up in another cycle of kind of addiction in some ways, if you will. I mean, you, I remember in our last conversation, you talked about um, how the kind of more you became aware of your internal processes, maybe you, you might call them mechanisms, the more you realized you weren't actually in control of the decisions you were making and that they were being heavily, heavily influenced by your circumstances, by, by um, you know, advertising, by media, by, um, you know, just all these little things that even subconsciously push us and pull us in different directions, you know. Um, there's a thing in New York where you have uh, you have buttons on the the pedestrian crossings, um, but the buttons don't actually do anything. But they make you think that you're in some sort of control. There's that illusion of control. Oh, that's really interesting, right? Yeah, and that this is going on all the time. Our behavior is being kind of channeled in different directions. Yeah, and you know, food is being engineered. Fast food. There's no. There's no kind of. Um, no coincidence that it's highly addictive and we get hooked because you know they, they have teams of food engineers who um you know design this stuff so it's super tasty super moorish and makes you come you know come back for more and i suppose there's a there's a lot of that kind of stuff that gives us that that kind of hit of of gratification and sometimes we can even think that we're doing the right thing but it's just another, we're getting into another form of addiction, just like, you know, there are all these meditation apps, but you, you know, you eventually become hooked on the meditation app itself. And how healthy is that? You know, how healthy are all these guided meditations? Are we really finding out more about us or, or are we finding out more about the person guiding us? You know what I mean? Who's, who's, who's yeah. kind of roadmap are we following? But what you're yeah. trying to do is something a little bit different. You're trying to kind of lead us down the the path into the the light you know emancipate us from these these kind of controlling influences i mean is is that even possible is there anywhere else that this is happening kind of in in the world um i'm not sure i mean even that whole word um emancipation is just so powerful and it's so important i mean by no means am i um kind of going out there and trying to free people. I don't think about it that way at all. In a lot of ways, I'm still trying to free myself. And um, plane is really just an expression of, um, I guess, of that journey to some degree. And I think there's a lot of adjustments that I've made even from starting, uh, even from having starting to build plane to where it is now and me working on inward. There were a lot of assumptions that I'd made about meditation, about mindfulness and about kind of helping people that were just plain wrong. And, um, and I think that's the, I don't like to use the word evolution, but that's the kind of um, trial and error learning that I'm going through right now. And, Part of that is certainly um, what you said earlier in terms of um, freeing yourself from these, um, I would say predominantly freeing yourself from that judgment that you have, that um, really at the end of the day is counterproductive. And also to kind of, to some degree, accepting that even the situation that we are in as toxic or as unhealthy as it might seem 
is also just a part of that growth that humanity is going through. And I think you can see that with the whole mindfulness sphere. I don't really like to comment on it too much um, because it's part of that growth. But certainly I feel that, and this is something that's very important for me, which is that I feel that what I'm doing with plain and inward shouldn't be about me. And it shouldn't be about my personality, if you will. It shouldn't be an extension of my personality. I mean, it should be as a form of art, as a game and the story that it expresses. Uh, but beyond that, I, don't re- I wouldn't feel comfortable if it was. Because I think it all goes back to the kind of meditation um, that I practice myself. It's, it itself is an evolution and it's, it itself is a kind of growth of all the different types of practices that I have had. And I think you'll find this with a lot of people, um, a lot of teachers of mindfulness and meditations, at least the ones that, um, that I listen to and I follow, follow is the wrong word, but I listen to is that they don't necessarily push you towards their practice. Rather, they would show you what it is and it's up for you to adjust and grow out of it to some degree. Um, a classic example, I guess, would be a teacher called Ramana Maharshi, who's, um, who's someone who, I think in the West, it's, uh, he's known for this method called self-inquiry, which is the whole idea of finding out who you are. And you find a lot of people talking about this. You know, It's like, ask yourself the question, who am I? And that's essentially what his entire teaching was based on, this question of who am I? But actually, if you read, um, if you read his teachings, in terms of what he tells you you need to do is very simple. And there's, um, you know, th- there's a few things that he asks you to do. Like as an example, he'll, one of the things he says is you should look, try to find out where your thought comes from. And to some degree, just that question is enough to get you going. And you can kind of evolve from there and kind of find your way from there. And I think that's what's really important in terms of, and I don't just mean in terms of mindfulness, I mean in terms of exercise, I mean in terms of even learning things like martial arts. You you know you met a really good teacher if they kind of want you to follow your own gut. They want you to follow your own curiosity, which is extremely important because whenever someone says, follow my curiosity and you'll be happy, I think you should try and stay away because then you will always need to follow their, their curiosity. You'll always need to follow them um, to a large degree. I think it's very important. And this isn't just unique to mindfulness. This is unique to everything that we learn. I personally think that you, you should, you should be, um, you should be guided to follow your own curiosity. And that's very important. There are a couple of things I wanted to kind of pick up on. One is you talk about judgment quite a lot. And and, and that's one of the, as kind of, I don't know what it's like in, in kind of other cultures, but in the West, we're very judgmental. You know, we're very judgmental of ourselves. We're very judgmental of other people. You know, when we, when we say, right, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. tomorrow and I'm going to go for a run and you don't, then you're kind of very judgmental in terms of being very critical of yourself and it's like well i'm such a i'm such a failure for not getting up at 5 a.m doing the run whatever it might be um but john kabat-zinn who's kind of known as the the kind of 
grandfather of mindfulness in the West or mindfulness as a kind of um, clinical uh, uh, technique. His definition of mindfulness um, includes the phrase non-judgmental. So we need to be uh, where we are in this moment uh, and we need to be aware of it non-judgmentally. And that kind of leads me into the the other part of what you were saying about kind of that whole idea of um, understand where you're thinking and then look for where it's come from. You can't you can't really do that while you're being judgmental of yourself. You, but you, when you stop being judgmental, you can say, okay, I'm feeling terrible, or I failed at this thing I wanted to do. Why is that? You know, why did I not do that? Or even why? You know, when when you start to kind of ex- explore where is this this thought or this feeling coming from? Why do I feel so bad about myself? You know, what are my motivations here? And maybe you can start to unpick those kind of external influences. And this probably ties in a little bit um, into the the whole topic of this podcast was all about stories, the power of stories. This was the idea that you, you came up with while we were kind of talking before, before we started recording, but there, you know, we're surrounded by stories and, you know, I've often thought that reality happens at the point of perception, which is within our kind of cognitive mind, maybe within our emotional selves as well. That's where we, we define our reality. And that's where we kind of, our perspective comes from. And there are always stories going on and people want to embed their stories in us. We're influenced by the stories of nature. Our our identities are attached to stories, you know, self-fulfilling prophecies. I'm a loser. I'm a success. I'm a winner whatever it might be. I, I don't have a beach body. I need a, I need a new Tesla, whatever it is that's, you know, I must vote conservative or labor or Republican or Democrat stories, stories, stories all, all the time. You know, how do we sift through these stories and find out where we are? I mean, are we, is the real us storyless? Is there, is there a kind of a blank kind of version of us beneath the ego perhaps that is without stories and that's the ultimate goal of where we're trying to get or or is that just even a a kind of farcical idea that that might be possible at all i love this um i I mean am i just rambling now is it does any of that make sense no uh, no this is um this is something that's very close to my heart um are we storyless and i think that I think um, that is where that is what I'm very curious about. And because um, this is something I was thinking about because we had spoken about stories and then your, your mind starts playing games. You know, you're like, OK, so what can I talk about stories? You know, what can I say about stories that's deep and profound? And then actually I realized, well, this is just another story that I'm making up in my head. Or it, it's see, I think that's where it's wrong. And we are all guilty of it. I'm guilty of it. I did it right now, which is when we start saying I am, yeah. right? It's like, um, I should, I have, I shouldn't. When that I comes in, um, it's a story. The, the moment that I comes in, it's a story. And I think what you said earlier about being storyless, this is something that I have, I have been pondering for years, which is the moments when you're entirely storyless, Right. And this is going to sound extremely cliched and I'm sorry in advance, but um, generally speaking, you know, because it's the same question with mindfulness and meditation and everything, which is, you know, the, the quiet mind. And it's kind of paradoxical. And, and I don't like to say it, even the whole term be non-judgmental. I don't like to say it because for not just the regular Joe, 
that's not going to mean much because the question is going to be, well, how do you do it? It's kind of like, you know, hanging um, a bunch of money in front of someone, but not showing them how to get it. (laughs) Here it is. It's like, don't judge. But then without actually um, saying what it is, is entirely pointless. And this is why I was kind of wondering what does it mean to be storyless? And and it's going to sound cliched, but the only time that I feel like there is no story is when some of the examples that I have is um, when I experience something that's really beautiful. And that sounds really, really cringy, but it is what it is. Because at the end of the day, when you, when I see like a really beautiful sunset, when I'm standing in like some cliff face and I'm looking down and I see the ocean and it's just unearthly, there's a moment and I've only known this afterwards where you're like, ah, right. Something happened there where I wasn't there. And the other point is also when I'm in deep sleep, when I, when I don't dream, like I'm not there, that's entirely story less. Um, When you meditate, there are points when you're entirely story less, but it's also just as interesting to see where you are full of story. Um, and it goes beyond you. It's, um, it's the most absurd thing because you can, you can essentially transfer yourself so easily to so many different things. When we were kids, we were growing up, we would watch cartoons about some dog and, or a mouse, and we would transfer our sense of self into this kind of you know, 15-frame animation. And we believe it. We will genuinely believe it. Like um, the other really absurd thing is if you watch like boxing or if you're into UFC, when before you watch a fight, your body is getting ready to fight and you're sitting at home on, you know, I'm on my little mobile screen trying to watch the fight. And I'm just like, why? It's like I'm in there and I'm having the fight. Essentially, you just transfer your sense of self directly onto that other person, which is why it really conflicts with us when, when, which is why it's an issue when we have heroes. Because when the heroes start doing something that goes entirely against who you are, then suddenly you have this kind of conflict. I guess another another example, more relevant example than a hero is a guru or someone who you think is the master. Suddenly when they start behaving in such a way that goes against who you are and what your story is, that conflict kind of happens. Because what really what you're doing is you're transferring your sense of self on a regular basis. And we do this daily with people who we meet. Empathy is driven by it. I mean, when we, if you're an empathic person, you're essentially, it's not that I'm feeling your pain. I think it's more that I am you. So I feel your pain. And we're doing this on a regular basis. And I think that makes it um, this kind of stories that we're constantly transferring back and forth. These characters that we're constantly kind of moving in and out of. It really makes you wonder if I can so easily move back and forth on a regular basis. I can suffer watching a film. I can be fearful when I watch a film. Um, I can be happy and elated when I watch a film. It's not that I'm sitting here and I'm just watching an actor. You're actually being that person. If it's that simple, then how much of what the suffering that we go through is actually ours? And this isn't in a way to belittle the pain that we're going through, but it's rather I'm saying the pain you're feeling of someone else is actually just as relevant as the pain that you're feeling for yourself.
But at the same time, it makes you wonder how much, you know, what, which stories actually belong to you. And I don't think any of it does at the end of the day, which is why coming back to what you're saying about judgment, because for me, it's really important that word judgment, because that's one of the, when judgment gets, it's okay to judge yourself. And it's absolutely fine to be judgmental. It's absolutely fine to wake up in the morning and you can't be arched going for a run. You're like, oh God, I'm such a failure. That's fine. But at the same time, we should explore, well, that's a story that I'm just attaching myself to. And it's okay. What, what was that famous, famous thing? I can't remember who said it, but something along the lines of um, being in pain is one thing and being in suffering is something completely different. Yeah, I mean, I, I um, there was actually a uh, Japanese poet. This is a, a, a quote that's been is attributed to you know the Buddha to about a million right. different other people. But there's a Japanese writer who was also a runner, and he wrote a book called "What I Talk About When I Talk About Running." That's right. Yes, I saw this on your Twitter. Actually. Yeah, that's right. Um, um, Muraka- yeah, Murakami. Yep. Go, go uh, yeah, that's it. Um, Hareki Murakami. I'm, I'm yeah. probably like totally destroying his name, but he he said. Um, <laughs> Pain is inevitable. Suffering is optional. Exactly. And, it, you know, it's so true. And I, I did a podcast, did a, a two-part podcast a couple of episodes ago with an ultra runner. And these guys, they right. go out and they run, they, they'll run seven marathons in seven days across the Sahara Desert, you know. And he he was, uh, I, I read about his experience. He, there was a period where he was probably about three days in running his third marathon. In those temperatures, the sand had got into his shoes and it was rubbing the skin off his shoes. Uh, you know, he's massively dehydrated. He'd been, you know, they eat these kind of gel packs to give them the energy. It's full of like sugar and stuff, but it ruins your stomach. So he he was throwing up while he was running through the Sahara Desert and he was crying at the same time. Um, and that's a kind of different relationship with pain than I have. You know what I mean? For me, that is does, does not sound like something I would ever want to do. But these guys, they have a very different relationship with pain. For them, it's it's a, it's a signal. And yeah, sure, it hurts. But it's not that kind of same kind of like I'm done. I'm I'm a failure. It's just like okay, it's it's hurting, but I'm I'm ca- I'm carrying on anyway. Right. But they they also use mantras. These runners. Signal. They, yeah, it's a signal. And um, you know, the the Stoics would have said, you know, that the suffering is the what's it the the pain is the path or the the obstacle is the way. You know, when you feel yeah, something right, difficult, right, right, that's the way you need to go. You know. Um, yeah. and, but these runners also have mantras. They, they on their gel packs, on the food that they carry, they will write in indelible marker, um, you know, things like "You're a winner. You can do it. Keep going." Stuff like that. And again, these are stories that they they will repeat. "I am a winner. I am." You know, you've got that "I am" yeah. again, and yeah. it, it's that yeah. kind of mental story that you tell to keep yourself going. Yeah. You know? absolutely because and, we're constantly telling we we can get we can get into the cycle of telling ourselves stories that are. Because it's all about you know what you want in life. Because we are telling ourselves we are failures is just a story at the end of the day. Yeah. Telling ourselves we are not a failure is just a story. At the end of the day, what do you want to believe? Because there is no story lesson between those two. Because at the end of the day, you want to go out and run. And you're either going to think you're a failure or you're not. These are just two different stories. Yeah. And it's really interesting what, you're, what you were saying about the um, ultra runner. Because it's the idea that it's just a signal. Because that's actually itself a story, but that's kind of more believable and more true because it is just a signal. 
the fact that when you start thinking of all the all the ways that this can fail because of the signal, then it starts becoming more um, difficult. And that's all it is at the end of the day. It just becomes more difficult. It can be easier, right? If you just see it as a simple, more positive story. But what about what about taking ownership of our stories? What if because I went through a, a phase when I was in a in a pretty dark place. And I became pretty miserable to hang out with. And I remember one night I was down the pub with my wife and she said, Oh, every time we come out, I feel like I have to cheer you up. And right. I just remember thinking, Oh, really? I, I don't, cause you know, in my head, I was just like constantly day in, day out. It's like, you're a loser. You're a failure. Why did you, why didn't you study harder at school? Why did you, and you know, going over all these kind of terrible life decisions I've made and you're, you know, all of these kind of negative stories. And then it was coming out into my identity. I was this kind of miserable guy to hang out with, you know, staring into my pint, not much fun to be around. And then, you know, she said to me this, and I had this kind of realization, I don't, I don't want to be that guy anymore. And so I, I kind of proactively started to try to change my, my story. I, I kind of under, under, you know, I went through practices to, to rewrite the script, if you like. I mean, is it, are we, is it really that simple to change our story and reprogram ourselves? Do you think, is it? And if it is, well, let me ask you, how did you find the process? Uh, quite, um, it took a while, but it was actually kind of, it felt like a, a transformation overnight. And what was weird is as I changed my, my kind of mental narrative, if you like, and, and kind of worked to intercept, you know, um, I can't remember who, who it was in, in the book, Man's Search for Meaning. He talks about right. um, in, between, yeah. um, in between in um, between uh, stimulus and response, there's a, there's a space and that space is your opportunity to choose your, you know, how you react to stuff. And so I, I spend a lot of time kind of trying to identify those, those internal narratives and just say, oh, hang on a minute, I'm, I'm not going to not going to listen to that anymore. And I'm going to replace those. You know, I, I did things like writing my CV looking at my strengths and you know a lot of i tried affirmations i tried i read a lot of self-help books all this kind of stuff to re rewrite that story but what was fascinating was as i rewrote my internal story the external world actually changed around me so my physical right. results got better so my my financial situation improved because i would letters would come from the bank and i would be too afraid to open them because i didn't want to face the reality of what that was going to be like but I started facing it, started arming myself with the information. That, oh, it's, it's bad, but okay, how can I deal with this? Started dealing with it. And my financial situation changed. I started letting go of things, letting go of anger, letting go of kind of frustration. And I became less uptight. And then I, I started letting go of kind of even dreams and goals and aspirations. And suddenly opportunities came to me. So a lot of the dreams we hold on to are actually holding us back. And so to, to get rid of those actually opens you up to opportunities. And so I think, you know, by changing my internal story, my external story changed as well. And it was quite astounding. And it, but it got to a point where I was thinking, how far can I take this? Can I, can this turn me into a millionaire? You know what I mean? Can I become an astronaut <laughs> or something? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, there is, we can, we can like take ownership of that internal narrative yeah. if we, if we yeah. are so inclined. I mean, you have to get to a certain pain point to, to make it happen. Um, Absolutely. But also understanding, you know, these thoughts, meditation was, was quite key in there, but it's like that whole idea of these thoughts aren't facts. You know, where are these thoughts yeah. coming from? What is this 
you know, can I turn the volume down on them? Yeah. You know, do they, do they serve me? Is this, is this narrative, you know, and, and also understanding that a lot of our kind of, it's, it's, it's easier to take external thoughts, external stories than to create our own, which is why it's so easy to become manipulated by the media, for example, or by advertising, um, that kind of stuff, or, you know, the people around you, that kind of thing. Yeah. But I mean, if that is the case, who are we really? If, if all of this stuff is so malleable, where is the this authentic? Is exactly. It, yeah. Us, you know. Yeah. I mean, is it just a matter of we're somewhere in the middle, or is is us all of it, or is it none of it? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Are we our best selves? Is that who we really are, or are we? Yeah. Or is that just a kind of another abstract version of, of yeah. the kind of storyless? Yeah. Thing? Yeah. Because I think. Um, there's a few things in there that that you mentioned that's really interesting. Um, but just touching on this last point, amongst all of this, who are we? And I think that's something we all should explore. And um, it's it's a bit like because uh, what you said is so important. Uh, because what meditation really is about is you're watching in a really practical, down to earth way if um, medicine is to kind of study, uh, physiology is to study the body, um, then meditation is to study yourself, your sense of self. And it's just literally anyone can start doing this right now. You don't need a guided meditation. And weirdly, I think we did this when we were children. It's that whole, and we always start from the outside in, right? When we're kids, we'll kind of look up at the sky. And I know, you know, everyone would have done this when we ask ourselves, well, you know, where did we come from? Um, If the sky is infinite, then what does that really mean in terms of my life here on this earth? When I go to sleep, where do I go? It's, It's kind of these kind of silly questions that we were kind of curious about when we were kids that we just need to kind of ask ourselves again, like, and what you're saying in terms of really figuring, really knowing what a thought is, is just so important because then you stop paying as much attention to the contents of the thought. Even if you were to just sit down for just say for 30 minutes, I'm just going to sit down and count all the thoughts that I have. That itself, I think, would impart so much wisdom because you'll see that when you start doing this practice, the kind of multi-layered cleverness of a thought, but also its simplicity. Because what will happen is you'll start asking yourself, well, I don't know what a thought is. Well, that's a thought. Is what I had just now a thought? Well, that's a thought. Um, I'm getting really confused here. That's a thought. And then you start going through it more and more and more. And then you're like, oh, now I'm not having a thought. That's a thought. And you just, if you can go down that rabbit hole and you can kind of get close to that whole question of, um, you know, where do thoughts come from? Because that doesn't have an answer. That question does not have an answer, but it's just a way of looking at things. And then when you, when you see exactly like you're saying, the thoughts are thoughts, then the contents of it become far less powerful. And like you're talking, like you're saying in terms of the media, I think you can only be manipulated if you give the contents of your thought value. That's in no way to say that you can have extremely toxic thoughts and you can go out and do whatever you want in the world because the pain and suffering is still real to some degree. But you kind of need to know where it all fits in. Um, because the natural inclination is the closer you get to that sense 
again of what you're saying in terms of who we are if we are just you know if 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 we can transfer ourselves to all the characters that we see in films all the books that we read all the tv shows that we see all the games that we play we are always going you know just transferring ourselves constantly and on the other spectrum if you were to say that it's only when we have a thought that we feel a sense of self in other words if we don't have a thought we don't exist we are completely storyless all of these things point to the question which is how authentic is our sense of actual self and that's something that i don't think really i wouldn't feel right even trying to give that an answer but that's something we need to explore and just the act of exploring that question is meditation in itself and you don't need to have an answer for that but it just helps you again going back to what you're saying about i think victor frankl about um that that gap between um thought and action all that is is there's a gap that storyless gap that happens in between because the 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 for the less the gap is the more likely you're going to act on it but actually that observing self that is entirely storyless to some degree and apologies that the sounds abstract but that kind of storyless part of you as that kind of kind of grows and that really another word to use for it is just awareness you're aware you're watching you're seeing once that grows then yeah you'll see that um certain habits that you have is just a kind of chem- kind of um a default mechanism that you have that you're just acting out you don't have to feel terrible and suffer through it you can just see well this is just a dependence that i have and you can start adjusting towards that you can start making decisions that are more mindful that are more kind of aware um and at the same time i, I also want to put the um kind of disclaimer i, I I don't want people to think I don't want someone who's listening to this to think that you shouldn't go out and push because I think in a lot of the mindfulness circles it's like you know be compassionate to yourself show love to yourself sometimes you need to push to get to that space sometimes you need to go through that pain to get to, get to that space sometimes you need to go and run until you you feel like you cracked the bone in your in in your leg sometimes you know people need to say oh the reason he's running so much is because there's some issues he's going through it doesn't matter sometimes people have to go through that they have to push hard to get to that space where they can be more settled and kind of start exploring a lot of these questions at the end of the day i guess what i'm saying is there's no one answer for everyone just because yeah. someone is pushing through it doesn't mean that they're not trying to be more mindful and trying to be more aware i think that's another that, that's a topic for another conversation this whole kind of uh, human dependence on finding answers for things where actually you know the whole of life is a, a koan you know it's one, it's an unanswerable question um yeah. but the whole point is to explore the question you don't need to find an answer but just explore it exactly um i uh, i was having a it was a few months ago i i sleep pretty well these days um because i'm normally pretty tired i get up very early with my little girl i i have a terrible back that keeps me awake most you know right. tossing and turning so i don't struggle to get to sleep um but a few months ago i was having one of those nights where your your mind is just racing and racing and racing and i don't i don't know if it was because i had too much caffeine or or what it was but it was just going from one thing to another and it was um i can't remember how i got there but i started thinking about the pope and then that led me on to you start to think about what sorry the pope 
Right. So, okay. you know, who lives in the Vatican? <laughs> my, my mind was just going from one thing to another. Right. And then I got, started thinking about Jude Law because he'd played the Pope in a, um, a, a TV series. I'd never seen it, but I saw him interviewed about it. And then I went on to some other film that he'd been in. And then it just went on this kind of random, you know, six degrees of Kevin Bacon type, just jumping around. And I was like, I can't sleep. I can't sleep. Why can't I sleep? And then as I kind of realized how absurd this kind of train of thoughts was, I kind of got to the point where I thought, this is ridiculous. What am I going to think of next? And then suddenly I found myself not being in those thoughts, but I was outside of them. And it, it was a little bit like you were talking about counting your thoughts. Um, and I was like, okay, so I'm going to sit back almost like I'm watching a film here and just see where my mind goes next. And before long, I'd fallen asleep right? because I'd come out of that, you know, the, you know, I detached myself from that kind of thought process. Cause you start but, looking for the thoughts, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, right. but becoming witness to them, which is, I guess is yeah. what meditation is all about. Yeah. Um, and I don't, don't really where I'm going with that, but it's just, you know, I suppose it's again not letting that that kind of narrative, that internal narrative, yeah. dictate things. Do the driving, if you like. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that's but, so interesting because it's that whole sorry, it's that whole story of um, thoughts is strange because the moment you start looking for them, it disappears. Yeah, it's a bit like um, it's a, it's a bit like fear. The moment you look directly at it, it isn't there anymore. You might feel that anxiety in your body, that that fear kind of subsides. And it's really interesting what you're saying about when you started when you started thinking of the absurdity of all the different chains of thoughts you're having, you're like, you're going to start looking at what's going to come next, and then you fell asleep. Yeah. Yeah. Completely. That's really interesting. But I mean, it's, it reminds me of a, a kind of thing I often bring up in in um, the podcast is this whole rain practice. I don't know if you know it, but it's uh, it's quite a common practice. If you're feeling something that you're uncomfortable with, like, you know, you're, you're fed up with something, you're angry about something. And it's about uh, recognize the, that feeling, allow it, just allow it to, you know, rather than fighting against it, you know, I, I recognize I'm angry. I'm going to be angry. That's fine. I'm going to allow it, but then I'm going to investigate it. And yeah. I'm going to say, why am I angry? What is this telling me about myself? And then I'm going to nurture that. I'm going to say, it's okay. It's fine to be angry. And by the time you get to M, you know, you've gone through R A I N by the time you get to end, half the time you're not feeling angry anymore because you've gone through this, right. this journey and you've taken the edge off it. And it just reminded me of what you were saying about fear. You know, when you, you know, it's like Freddy Krueger, when you, when you turn to face him and say, I don't believe in you anymore, yeah. he disappears, yeah. you've taken his power away. And yeah, uh, yeah it's, Absolutely. It's, a, it's a powerful thing. I mean, we... Sorry, we, so it, it's R-A-I-N, is that an acronym? Yeah, it's an acronym. So it's, you recognize, recognize. you allow you investigate and then you nurture. Okay. That's beautiful. Yeah. So it's, it's quite, it's used quite um, commonly in all kinds of kind of mindfulness. Um, yeah. I think yeah. they do it in uh, acceptance and commitment therapy and exactly like right. Yeah. So it's, it's um, it reminds me a lot of the kind of acceptance meditation, which yeah. I think is, is fundamental. And because um, in a lot of ways you're kind of getting in tune with that sense of awareness because we are aware of everything. There's nothing we awareness isn't going to say no to anything. And uh, personally, I think um, watching a video of Rupert Spira, he, I think he did a meditation on acceptance, which I think is probably one of the most like best articulated guided meditation about acceptance. And this whole sense of, um, 
in some ways sitting down with whatever feeling you have and getting to know it and um, getting to getting to be friends with it. It's, it's, it's really beautiful. And what you're saying about rain reminds me a lot of that. And I completely agree with you. This, it is fundamental. And, um, and we can do this with pretty much anything, actually, positive and negative thoughts. And we should do it with both things we like and things we don't like. We should sit with them for a bit and find out what they're actually made of and, what, uh, and who they really are. Even if you're feeling really elated about something maybe something worked out for you and I've been in the same situation and then it's like, well, sit down with it and see what does that actually mean? What's that excitement that you're feeling? Um, but yeah, no, that's, it's definitely, I agree. I think it's, it's very important. There's, um, I had a conversation with a woman called Martha Beck, who is a, um, they could, in America, she's known as America's best known life coach. Although right. she's not, she's much more than that. I think she talks a lot about um, kind of exploring these, these states of profound. I mean, you, you call those kind of storyless moments where you, you have yeah. that sunset and suddenly you're not kind of trying to, you know, there's no cognitive process involved. You're just like, wow, okay, this is a very raw experience I'm having here. Um, and she talks about wordlessness and, you yeah. know, that basically when, when you're born, you're born without language. And so everything is, is a pure experience one way or another. It's emotional or it's visual or it's, uh, you know, you've got your senses, but there's no language attached to that. You know, a tree is not a tree. It's a, it's a million different things. It's the way it moves. It's the color of the leaves. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's life cycle. But as soon as we start to learn language, we kind of put up a barrier between our kind of um, experiential selves, if you like, yeah. and um, our, you know, uh, our human selves, our, our selves in society, in, in the kind of human world. And, I, and you touched on it without that kind of talking of this, about the sunset as that profound moment. And maybe that's what mindfulness is trying to be about. You know, everything is striving, everything is labels, everything is, is stories. But in those moments where we kind of, we feel the ground beneath our feet, or we you know, recognize the love between us and, you know, our, our fellow man, whatever it might be, or, you know, that sunset or the, the fear or whatever it is, that profound moment is where, I mean, is it, is it too bold to say that's where life is happening right now? I think that's where life is happening also. And, yeah. um, and I think the problem because you're saying something really beautiful and I'm talking about a problem, but I think the problem <laughs> is that we've only had the side of the words yeah. because it's, again, I think that's the growth that society is going through because we have lived in a way that we had to behave in a very mechanized way because of the kind of jobs we did, because the kind of um, society was always engineered towards our kind of profession to, you know, to the point like our surnames used to imply, at least in the West, the kind of profession that you had. So a lot of the family names are rooted in their profession. And because of that, um, the kind of system that, that um, um, the system of work, if you will, meant that we had to be grounded on our words and we had to be grounded in processes and we had to be, um, we had to, as, as part of that, we had to give up another aspect of life. And that's what mindfulness is really, mindfulness is just one of the things you don't, you can have zero interest in mindfulness and you can still be perfectly in tune with that other word, wordless, storyless, beautiful part of our life. 
um, you know, it's as an example, like dancers go through it. And, and the weird thing is like human beings have a way of finding this out, right? Even if mindfulness didn't exist, even long time ago, we had ways of finding this out, which is to go for a walk, which might be to dance, which might be to have festivals and dancing around something. And, and even having being surrounded by people and singing in unison will kind of get you to that similar space where there are no words, where there are no stories, where you just feel at peace. And we'll go after it. I mean, even, you know, like growing up, what did we do? Like we'd, we'd, go, we'd go with our mates, like get pissed and go to a club and dance. It's like, yeah, sure. It was to meet girls, but at the same time you dance, man. Like you, you really are in the moment when you dance, even if you're utterly shit face, you can still kind of appreciate that silence to some degree, you know? And, and, and I think we are just getting more focused about it. And I think we are growing into it a bit more this kind of space that's been there accidentally that we've always kind of gravitated towards. And I think it's being brought out a bit more now than it was before, which I think is it's really important. And mindfulness, meditation, all of these things is kind of pointing us back towards that. And a lot of the stories that we see even now in films and everything is, is, is kind of touching on that sense of that silence, that beauty. And because what does it really mean to be in that space? Because in that space, what it really means is to not be judgmental because that is that space when you're dancing and when you're having a great time, are you judging stuff? No. The moment you're judging yourself where you're like, Oh shit, I look a bit funny. You're not in that moment anymore. You're not in that space because in that kind of storyless state, you're utterly judgmentless, you know, and, um, and a lot of the stories that we see now is, is about that kind of openness, you know, to people, openness to um, cultures, openness to our, the way we think it's a, it's a lot less closed off and it's a lot more open-minded. And I think that's the growth that's really happening now. That is exciting. Obviously on the other side, there's still, uh, lots of things that needs to be improved, but I think we are kind of on the on the right trajectory. Yeah, I've heard as that. a society at least. I've heard. Um, well, I mean, I think there are two sides to that. I think uh, on the one side, there's um, someone called it an extinction burst. Uh, you get this right. kind of. Um, I think that comes from kind of astrophysics. You know, when a when a star collapses, you get this massive burst of energy before it finally finally dies. But there's this kind of extinction burst of of capitalism of or, or not necessarily capitalism but all the things that are bad about capitalism you know there's this there's a big force pushing for better because our survival yeah. depends on yeah. it as a race yeah. you know and and there's a big force pushing for kind of mental well-being because we're aware mm. that you know a lot of our societal cultural practices are actually quite harmful to us you know nine to five monday to friday isn't written in the, the stars it's not a um it's a man-made concept that isn't necessarily aligned with our evolutionary nature you know um and so on the one hand you've got this kind of you might call it it might manifest as anti-wokeism or it might manifest as um you know this kind of pushback against progressive liberal ideas if you like um and people are calling it an extinction burst. It's the last kind of final gasp right, of, 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 you know, oh, yeah. all this kind of, all, all the bad traits, you know, of, yeah. Of, yeah. Um, yeah. you know, like when you're trying to drink a green smoothie and someone says, what's that filth you're drinking? Have a, have a <laughs> burger instead. 
You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, that burger is tempting, you know. But no, I'm gonna stick to the right. Yeah, path. is that kind of last fight? That's what you mean, exactly. Like, yeah, um, and, and but hopefully that this is it's going to die down then, and there will be yeah. a kind of I don't know whether it's going to be a rebirth or just a gradual move towards a healthier way of of being um, in alignment yeah. with who we are, our nature, and the way nature is. You know, there's, there's yeah. that kind of thing. I mean, trying Absolutely. to lo- loosely bring it back to this notion of stories. Yeah, we need we need stories. We need to have a story. I mean, if we are completely storyless all the time, we become unemotional and and cold, and we just go through life and yeah. you know, doesn't doesn't matter what happens because we're without stories, you know. But we need that story to hold on to because we are spiritual beings having a human experience, if you like. Yeah. But I guess it's do we own the story or is it being used? against us is it being commoditized by someone else is it is it is it becoming yeah. a stick that we're beating ourselves with or is it becoming something that we're you know is it is my story i can be better and i i want to be this better version of myself you know that's yeah the, and what does that even look like you know or am i comfortable it's like healthy stories yeah i mean how do we how do we i think that's that? what i think that's what it is i think that's where it needs to um i think that's where we are going to some degree because again i think on the other spectrum the very because again i'm terrible with names i can't remember any of these quotes but um the truth of it was really that um there two of the worst things that can happen to you is to not get what you want or to get what you want i didn't say this. this is a quote from someone else i can't remember who and I think that's fundamentally where we are at right now, because I think we're transitioning to the second pain, which is to get what we want. And even, you know, this whole idea of liberal and conservative, the left and right, the way I see it is that it's really difficult at times. I'm saying the way I try to see it is that this is the natural progression of our growth. And there's no point hating on the farmers because they think a certain way, because actually they were part of that growth just as much as for them to not be so angry at the young people now who they think is woke. Well, actually, that's a natural part of growth. Neither. I mean, we are unified in that we are all growing. Um, but coming back to a very important point that you raised, which is about the stories that we that we tell ourselves, I think the way even for me, I need to improve a lot of the stories that I tell myself. You know, like today I pulled a nearly a 12 hour day and I was feeling pretty exhausted at the end of it. And um, I'm trying to kind of build something by myself that I know is extremely difficult. And and I find myself at certain points kind of going down that judgment route. And it's only natural because I'm human. But I think what I focus on is that um, kind of trying to keep in the same context of what we were talking about in terms of story less. We need to. I think our stories will only improve in quality if we are more in tune with the story-less side of ourselves. And I think the judgments that I have about myself and the stories that I have about myself compared to years back, I think the quality has, I would like to think at least, that the quality has somewhat changed. And I've seen this in other people as well. It's like, and it doesn't have to be with mindfulness or exercises, people who go through kind of transformatory kind of things in their life where they're 
where they've had to do something very difficult or they've seen something very sad, where they've seen the meaning of suffering and they suddenly kind of, you know, the base just drops and they go much lower into that space, that storyless space, and they become more in tune with that storyless side of themselves. And then you just see them flourish, like they come out of it. And like, uh, and it's not like, you know, they wake up the next morning and everything is rosy and peachy and there's some sort of like superhumans. No, but there's a certain quality about them that's changed. And I think then the stories start to become a bit more healthier. If we are in tune with that kind of storyless, wordless side of ourselves, basically what I'm saying is awareness. And actually, Another thing that you said, which is really interesting, was um, with that uh, life coach that you mentioned. Sorry, I forgot her name. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And um, she was talking about being a child and how children see, uh, how babies see the world and how adults see the world. Because one of the things that I've started doing recently is um, kind of trying to, because the problem with meditation is it's in some ways it's it's quite selfish because you're constantly looking in yourself and you're it's all about you and your practice but um one thing is when you try to project the attention outwards and you try to watch the world around you regularly and constantly and you come out of the practice and this is something that you practice outside on a normal day as much as you can And then what you realize is that actually it is just objects that are around you and the sounds that are happening around you. And it's exactly like you were saying, we start putting meanings around it. And it's actually, I think we're using a different part of our brain, which we need to do tasks and do things and communicate with people. But we need to, at the same time, be connected to that part of our brain. If if, you think of it more practically, that is connected to the word less, that is connected more to the kind of present state, which in the truest form doesn't have any words. So we need to have a balance between those two sides of our brain. And then I think we'll, we'll live a more healthier, a more um, compassionate existence where we all can grow together without as much of the violence that, that we've had to go through as human beings. Uh, but again, that violence is just, possibly part of our growth because i was going to ask you about um you know what does it what does it mean to get into a storyless state what what does that mean because surely every time we you know you talk about people who've discovered their kind of their storylessness if that's a a thing yeah you said they flourish so how do we recognize that storyless part of us but but then you kind of answered the question for me you you said it's basically basically awareness isn't it it's a kind of objective awareness of ourselves and maybe it was a little bit like when I decided I didn't want to be that guy anymore. I was like suddenly brought in, I was brought into that storyless state or that, that kind of um, objective self-awareness of like, whoa, hang on a minute. I, this is, I'm a, I'm not fun to be around. I'm a drain. You know, you get radiators <laughs> and drains, you know, I'm a, I'm yeah. a drain. And, yeah. and I was kind of jolted into that. And that that's the kind of thing. How do we, how do we nurture awareness? How do we nurture a kind of, you know, a, a kind of objective self-awareness without it. Yeah. Because, you know, you say every time you think of something, you know, you can't not have a thought. You know, it's, it's very difficult to not have a thought unless you are completely, yeah. you know, zenning out to a sunset and just like... Or a psychopath. Or, or a psychopath, yeah, something <laughs> like that. So how do we, how can we be objective in terms of our yeah. own self-awareness? Is that even possible? 
See, I, I think it's it's such an important question that you're asking because this is something that I have asked myself many times. And the kind of answer that I settled on years back was I already know what it is. And it doesn't meditation is just one of the ways that I do it. But um, and the really weird thing is the people, if you look at people around you, especially people who are very close to you, you find them seeking out the same kind of awareness as well. It can be through exactly like you're saying, it can be through kind of that um, when you see yourself, when you see the stories that you tell yourself and you suddenly decide that you want to change. So that kind of awareness of these different stories that you tell yourself, or it could just be that you like to go and dance all the time. Uh, Or it could just be that you like to go for really long walks every day. Or it could just be that you like to spend every evening writing stories because actually in all of those things, I, I guess, I think what you're asking is to intentionally do it, to intentionally yeah. tap into that awareness. And I think to intentionally do it is, is, is something that I am still figuring it out. It's figuring out because I'm not convinced you can intentionally do it. It's, it's yeah. again, that kind of, it can influence you. You can try as much as you want to influence it, but um but I'm not sure how much success, how much success you'll get at. In some ways, meditation is, um, is, is a very close way of doing it because you're really getting in tune with that awareness. Um, and, but I would just say that it doesn't have to be meditation. Doesn't have to be you sitting with the timer for 30 minutes. That's great. And I think that should be part of what you're doing, but you can try the same thing with um, kind of your curiosity of finding out exactly like we're talking about before in terms of, you know, where do these thoughts come from? What is this? Let me watch myself having thoughts for 30 minutes, or it might be that you go for a walk and you just tell yourself, you know what, I'm just going to watch with my eyes, everything that's around me. And the moment you get lost in thought, find something else to look at and just keep looking for 30 minutes. And in a lot of ways, I think uh, kind of circling back to what I said at the start, I think to answer your question to some degree, I guess what I'm saying is you need to follow your own curiosity about yourself because actually what you discovered for yourself is very true for you. And like that, I think we all have our little techniques that we have that we've been, or questions that we've been curious about that we just need to keep going into and discovering for ourselves, but get really curious about that question of, you know, who is having these thoughts? Who is actually suffering? Why am I so judgmental? Why do I think I'm this way? Why am I so affected by this film? Why am I so afraid of this film that I'm watching, even though I know it isn't real? What part of me is afraid? And kind of leading down those questions. And I think you'll get to that kind of storyless state or awareness or whatever, whatever you want to, you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it is a powerful tool. I mean, you you talk about, you know, we we kind of transport our our internal narratives or our sense of identity into you know, into the film or into the game. Right. And I know, like, sports coaches will tell people to visualize themselves winning a, a race and the body, yeah. you know, running and winning, and the body allegedly. I don't know how true this is or whether it's just one of those kind of urban myths, but the body responds in exactly the same way as if you were actually running the race, you know? So, so a kind of mental imagining of, of the race is yeah. just as powerful as going out there and, and running it itself, you know, because yeah. there's no, there's no kind of differentiation up here inside your, inside your brain. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's so many different ways you could, you can go with this, but 
yeah, that, that sense of awareness that Martha Beck talked about becoming aware of what you're aware of. Right. Because, because basically what our brains are pattern recognition kind of filters and depending on our state of mind, how we're feeling, what mood we're in, we pick up on different things. You know, if we're, if we're in a victim mentality, we'll pick up on all the things that will reinforce that. If we're, if we're winners, um, you know, we'll pick up on all, you know, if we think we're winners, we'll pick up on all the things that will reinforce that, you know, you could have had, yeah. everyone could hate you, but you'll pick up on the one person who thinks you're great. Right. Whereas, <laughs> you know, a different person would pick up on all, all the other people. Yeah. But it's, I guess it's becoming aware of what we're becoming aware of, you know, yeah. just saying, yeah. oh, I've noticed that today and I've noticed this and I'm, I'm just yeah. picking up on all these things. What is that telling me about myself? Exactly. And I think one of the things you said there is so important because it's all um, like you're talking about the two mentalities becoming uh, transitioning from the victim mentality to the kind of winner mentality. What is really shitty about that and what really sucks about that is um, most of us think in the way that we've been brought up. And it is, and that I would say, and this is me being judgmental, and that is extremely unfair because you are the experiences that you had when you're growing up, the thinking processes that you are surrounded by when you're growing up defines to a large extent how you're going to think when you are grown up. And which is, again, I think it comes back to what we were talking about and some ways ties in with being aware of um, being aware. Um, but more so what we were talking about before in terms of the stories that we tell ourselves and how to kind of, and why it's so important to get in tune with that awareness or that storyless state or understanding where these thoughts are coming from, because you're not, you're not at fault for the way you're thinking, right? It's like, you need to do the work to, to think in a more healthier way, just so you can be happy, Um but at the same time, it's, it can be very difficult if you don't know that the thoughts you're having, the suffering you're going through, it's actually the pain and the suffering of the people around you that you're going through. And that's extremely important because on a very practical level, because it's really simple you know, in, in the mindfulness sphere to say, don't judge and don't do all these things. But you need to really have an awareness of, of the pain and the suffering that actually you're not responsible for. Um, and it's, it's, it's purely, you didn't choose to grow up in the environment that you grew up in, but tools like mindfulness are finding things you love in life, getting in tune with that awareness, asking the questions, being curious about who you are will kind of, I think, help you adjust to those stories. And maybe even exactly like you're saying, the kind of experience that you went through kind of reach a point where you can switch out of them and kind of pick the stories that are better suited and basically just bring you more happiness in your life it, that's uh maybe we should think about wrapping it up now so i won't because i mean we could I, I feel like we could go on for another day or two talking about these kind of things but that's really like you, you say we're not kind of responsible for these these stories but yeah. i think we have to take responsibility for them and that's yeah otherwise the cycle will repeat and it will keep repeating um and i think that's I'm, i've had this conversation a few times with uh with some, there was a woman called Donna Lancaster who um, right. does amazing work with anger and things like that. And she's been on the podcast as well. And I, but I've noticed it when a big, uh, big transformative moment for me was becoming a father. 
And as my little girl has grown up, I, I write a column for a parenting magazine, which is a, it's a kind of um, alternative parenting, if you like, but mindful parenting uh, magazine. And, you know, I'm a first time dad. I don't have a clue what I'm doing. But one thing I've noticed and I've seen written elsewhere and I've noticed from my own experience is that children don't do what you say. They do what yeah. you do. You know, they, they, right. they do all the things that you unconsciously do. So you, exactly, can, right. you can kind of be, you know, setting a good example. But if you're filled with anxiety, filled with um, self-doubt, filled with, um, you know, all of these kind of negative things that we, we actually attach some kind of pride to in a way, you know, it's, it's almost like being confident and being happy almost feels like we're not really connected what what's really going on or, or it feels smug or wrong somehow to be yeah. confident and happy yeah. but i want my child to be growing up confident and happy and if i really want that then i have to try and be confident and happy myself you know and it's it's so easy to in our in our humility and in that kind of story of i'm a worthy person and worthy people are filled with doubt and they're filled with kind of anxiety and 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 shame and all of this kind of thing because they are worthy humble people and actually yeah. i don't want my little girl to be filled with all of those things i want her to be strong and assertive and happy and you know filled with compassion and empathy as well yeah but then i realized actually i deserve those things anyway you know when i was born into this world i don't have to i shouldn't have to earn this place i shouldn't have to earn my happiness i should i owe it to myself to be confident and to be happy and i shouldn't feel ashamed of it even though i go through periods when i do feel like i'm i'm kind of winning in the happiness stakes and the confidence stakes and now i become aware of that and i kind of suddenly feel ashamed about that and it knocks me back it's like a, a kind of swinging pendulum yeah but in a way we we deserve to have take ownership of our story and, and rewrite it in the best way possible. I think, I think Absolutely. because no. life is hard, right? So I think we need yeah. to, we owe it. To Absolutely. Ourselves. And, and, and I think um, exactly. And, and I think it's, it's a very beautiful point to end this on, which is uh, we need to um, in some ways, yeah, take ownership of the stories that we have. And we are, we are responsible for our happiness um, but we are not at fault for all the shitty things that might have happened to us. And uh, all the answers are there and we can find it for ourselves. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant. Okay. Well, um, in that case, we will, we will bring it to an end there. If people want to find about, out about plane or uh, you're working on inward at the moment, but it's not. That's quite right. Yeah. Yet. yeah um, I so mean, where, where can I, they go? If you Google meditation game, uh, plane is the first link. And from there, you'll be able to find inward as well. Okay, brilliant. And it's P-L-A-Y-N-E, isn't it? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, thank Chris, you so much for having me. It was great to talk to you, Chris. I know. Always. Yeah. I, there's so many different uh, directions we can go in. Uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, we should we should revisit this again in a few more months and uh, do it again. But yeah, thank, thanks ever so much for that. I really... No, thank you so that. much for having me. It was great to talk to you, Chris. There you go. A great conversation with Krish there. And it just goes to show how powerful our stories are. Yet we seem to kind of put ownership of these stories to the outside world, to things that have happened to us, things that people say to us. When, in fact, when we can take ownership of those stories and see what they do to us and detach ourselves from them and take control of rewriting them, 
we can actually use them to take ownership of our lives and create an existence much more aligned with who we are and who we came here to be. So thank you to Krish for that. If you want to find out more about his work, then head over to plane.co. That's P-L-A-Y-N-E.co. And you can find out about the plane, the meditation game, and also the new game, uh, Inward, which is coming soon. Next week, we'll be talking to uh, Charles Clay about going from a consumer mindset to a producer mindset, which is very powerful, uh, focusing on abundance rather than lack, which I think is a, a very interesting conversation. And he's a very dynamic guy, so don't miss that one. If you don't want to miss any of the uh, episodes, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can also give us a, a rating and a review. That'd be really nice if you can. And uh, if you want to carry on the conversation, join the Facebook group. Just search for Conversations on Living. I've also got a newsletter, which I send out very infrequently, but it'd be great if you could sign up. And if you do, you'll get a free copy of my most recent book, Shine Manifesto. Just head over to uh, conversationsonliving.com. You can find my meditations there as well, my essays, and all the episodes of this podcast. And please, please spread the love because uh, this is the way we kind of get exposure. So tell your friends and, um, you know, help us to reach as many people with these kind of empowering ideas as possible. And that's it for this week. Uh, But thank you so much for tuning in and for listening and making it this far. And uh, in the meantime, have a lovely day. Thank you.